1: America
3: good morning New York this is the Cats Roundtable John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning we have one great show for you today we have Governor David Patterson Congressman Peter King and what happened in, in uh, uh, Washington this morning when he testified before Congress Steve Cates about looking up in the sky and what do we see on a Sunday morning? Zach Williams on Albany. We have Eric Schuffler on baseball in Staten Island, and they're playing again today. We have Tom Gretsch. Tom is speaking about what the heck is going on with business in Queens. Let's start with
4: Michael Stolar on the real estate industry. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I've had the honor of having Scott Gallen, who is the CEO and principal of Handrow Properties, LLC, and ESSH Investments, LLC. So what do you do with these two companies? You are active in the office space business, correct?
2: Yeah, and the Hendrop Properties is principally uh, our core office space in New York City, and the ESS Investments is uh, self-storage, multifamily, warehousing, etc. across the entire country, and we are co-GP and LP investors in about 100 projects.
4: Okay, so let's talk you're also involved, you're on the executive committee of the Garment Center Alliance. Yes. And also a uh, member of the board, right? Yes. Tell me about that because that's a very active market right near Penn Central.
2: Well, yeah. I've been part of the bid for over 20 years. When I was a tenant in the area, I was one of the tenant board members. There's designees, and now for the last 15 years, I've been, you know, one of the landlord board members. We um, we are one of the largest bids in New York, and um, it's a very vibrant and active area. Uh, last three years have been very challenged, like most parts of CBDs in New York. But um, the area is terrific. As you know, we're located in terms of transportation hubs. They're all within our district. And um, we've done a great job in the last 10 years, just reforming the entire district in every possible way. And uh, now we're, you know, now that COVID's over, we've battled a lot of challenges that everybody's been battling in New York. And um, we're on an ascension now.
4: Okay, what's happening in the retail areas in in the bid, and how you see it.
2: I think the retail areas in the bid are okay. Um, They're a little challenged because we don't have residents, and so any place that has people there eight, ten hours a day, five days a week, is always a difficult retail environment. And now, with reduced office occupancy, which is getting better but still reduced, that even makes retail more difficult in a pure CBD
4: what's happening with the restaurants i mean part of the the restaurants with the fast casual and so on.
2: Restaurants are pretty good because we have a giant hospitality uh, space. We have 55 restaurants in the bid and uh, I'm sorry, 55 hotels in the bid with occupancy probably in the 80, 90% category, several million visits last year. And so the, um, the guests at the hotels uh, absolutely do eat in the restaurants. I have a few restaurants in our properties that obviously suffered dramatically Dramatically at the beginning of COVID. And today are doing between 80 and 90% of their pre-COVID annualized business.
4: Okay. With regard to that, what, what are happening with the fine dining restaurants? How are they doing in the, in the region?
2: We have so few left, Mike. I mean, there's three or four restaurants principally geared towards businesses. And they're pretty busy when, when I go there still, um, but um, there's not many left.
4: Let's talk about leasing of space uh, for both the retailer and also for the office tenant. What's the status today?
2: Listen, you know the office market in Manhattan is is very challenged, but it it depends on neighborhood and it depends on size and use. We're fortunate that our tenants are small to medium-sized tenants. 3,000 to 10,000. These are entrepreneurial businesses where work from home is really not uh, feasible and it's not part of the entrepreneurial spirit. So we're fortunate enough now to have a physical occupancy of 75, 80%. And we thought that would happen. Obviously, we, we've all experienced some rent deflation everywhere in New York with a very few exceptions. And, you know, I still think there's a There's time to play out this work-from-home issue. We're finding more and more and more of our tenants back, and back in more plentiful ways than they came back originally. Okay,
4: would you say we have a time today that it's a good opportunity for an office tenant to rent space. Yes. Are they getting great opportunities? Yes. What type of concessions are yes. they being they're, offered?
2: They're getting rents that are materially less than they were pre-COVID. And concessions are a different thing, a difficult thing, because it's all one package. They may be getting less work and less free rent, but a dramatic reduction in rent. So... But when you put the package together and you look at net effective rent, they're getting a very good deal all over the country. What's
4: your thought about the conversion from office buildings to residential buildings, especially with this new MCOR program, which may go into effect in June?
2: Listen, in our neighborhood, we feel great about it because we don't have residential zoning, which we expect to be able to have in 2024. All the politicians, all the stakeholders are very much for this. We need residential and and the city needs housing. So this is a win-win. Having said all that, it's a difficult it's a long haul and a, and a difficult lift to take an office building and convert it into a res building, and especially since it requires meaningful tax incentives and assistance from you know uh, municipal authorities. Okay,
4: with regard to that, I know that you've personally been involved with, in, in your investments in conversion of industrial space to office space, which was in vogue a couple of years ago. What, what's happening today with regard to that?
2: I don't think anybody's converting anything into an office today.
4: Are you seeing the conversion today from the, indust- from the office back to
2: industrial? I haven't seen that. I don't think in the city in Manhattan, you'd see that. I think more this notion of conversion to residential, except it's a heavy lift and it's something that doesn't happen fast and um, you need light and air and you need a lot of money. And so some buildings are efficient to do it in and others very inefficient.
4: What about co-sharing, you know, the WeWorks and the other regions? What are you seeing today in that? What's your thought about that?
2: I mean, I'm not familiar with what's going on. I I read what you read, and um, so I'm not sure. I mean, I don't—most people now—we have a building that has um, 160 small spaces in it, 500 to 1,000 feet. It's 100% leased. It was through COVID.
4: So you're running your own uh, co-sharing?
2: I don't think it's co-sharing because everybody, during COVID, I came up with a little notion called walls and doors. And I thought people, they didn't want to co-share. So we ran a big advertising campaign three months into COVID, walls and doors. And we said, you can have 500 feet, but it's yours. You have a door, you can close it, you have walls. And um, it worked. I mean, the building maintained 95% tenancy
4: through COVID. Many of the office buildings in in the Garment Center or Fashion District bid area are older are very old, and they require a major replacement. What do you see? Do you see a number of these buildings being knocked down? Do you see any new, new office buildings going into that district? What do you, what do you see in general?
2: I don't see a lot of office buildings going into the district right now. There's enough vacancy where I'm not sure what would motivate somebody to build an office building. And most of our buildings are loft buildings between 50 and 120 years old. We maintain our buildings very well, as many of the great owners in our area. You know, we have entrepreneur, you know, iconic owners that take care of these buildings. And so what
4: about the rooftop clubs, the restaurants that are having clubs over there? What's your thought about that, especially since they have a number? them in that district
2: we only we have a couple and again and, and a lot of that is driven by tenant occupancy in the offices um, the ones at the hotels in our in our district are doing very well the couple in the office buildings i'm not familiar what the what the occupancy is right now
4: so do you see people coming to the office more before the end of the year or are we are we at a four day a work work week at the office
2: from my vantage point, we should be at a five-day work week. And I'm, I built and ran a business that wasn't in the real estate business. And I believe that to run a successful business, you need physicality and you need, you know, ad hoc ideas. So, but what I believe and what's going to happen are two different things. I, I'd like to believe we're going to get up to 75%, and I think we're going to be looking hopefully at uh, most people working a four-day in-office work week and one day remotely.
4: So as I would say uh, on my TV show, here's my apple. So the crystal apple looks relatively bright for the future. And Scott Gallon, thank you very much for being here today on the Stoller Real Estate Report. Thanks for
3: having me, Mike with us today is steve Cates, otherwise known as dr sky and he's with us every sunday morning to tell us when we look up in the sky what can we dream about what what are we going to see and uh, steve Cates, uh, uh welcome to, uh, to sunday morning i'm drinking my cup of coffee give, give us give us what's going on
5: well good morning john and good morning to all your listeners here on the cats roundtable You know, one of the new branches of the United States military, many people may know, is the U.S. Space Force. It was called the U.S., that is, the Air Force Space Command, before it became, naturally today, what we call officially the U.S. Space Force. But this goes back on December 20th of 2019, when 16,000 military and civilians were moved over to this incredible organization. But, John, just a little bit of history about this, and some things people may not know. Here's the latest on the Space Force. They actually have a theme song, as you would imagine, just like the other branches.
3: We exclusively played it on WABC about uh, two weeks ago when we had uh, uh, General Tyshing, I believe, Tyshirt yes, on. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, and it's uh, beautiful. It's, it's, tell our tell audience what it sounds like, and, and maybe we, uh, we'll replay it again on uh, uh, later on.
5: Absolutely. And their motto is simply in Latin, Semper Supra, which means always above. And here are the words, John, of the actual song dedicated to the Space Force. And here we go when I quote, We're the mighty watchful eye, guardians beyond the blue, the invisible frontline warfighters, brave and true. Then we move on boldly, reaching into space. There's no limit to our sky, standing guard both night and day, where the space force from on high. That's an interesting, amazing organization, and you're going to hear so much about it. But, John, in the practical sense, we're finding out that the U.S. Space Force is actually going to soon launch a series of constellation satellites out to that geosynchronous place, meaning 22,000 miles above the Earth. The project is called Silent Barker. And what is it? It's a series of constellation of satellites, as I said, to actually track and file and monitor chinese and russian satellites which could damage or disable orbiting satellites we know from the national reconnaissance office that china has some satellites one called an sj-21 which is a counter satellite which could pull other satellites out of orbit and something else called a sijian 17 that has a robotic arm that maybe could do some nefarious things, not just blaming them. but We saw that in the last uh, Chinese movie, didn't we? Absolutely. And this is interesting. Now the Space Force, interesting project, Silent Barker. In other words, like a dog that goes silent, but then the power of that dog, of course, is manifested right inside the dog. But in this case, satellites, John, they're out there to keep a watchful eye just in case anything might not go right as far as the assets, because you and I both know we have so many billions of dollars of important reconnaissance satellites, other communication satellites, so it's good to hear that the U.S. Uh, absolutely, now and when
3: it. I was on with the General uh, 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 Teichert, uh yes. John Tyshirt, I believe it, uh, his name was, uh, he yes. said that the purpose of Space Force, because not everybody knows, is to monitor what's going on in outer space uh, to make sure that, you know, our whole system is, is GPS, you that the it. Chinese or Russians or whoever our enemy is at the time doesn't knock out our satellites and knock out our GPS systems.
5: Well, you're so right. And one of the main themes here, obviously, their mission is to protect U.S. and allied interests in space. And you say it so well, and I'm sure the general says it better, knowing so much more than we both know. But, John, we move on always to something called the mystery of the week. And I've been talking with you and the listeners about detection of water in the solar system, more prominent than we have probably thought. But how about this? In one of Saturn's satellites, a satellite called Hyperion, it's the largest non-round satellite. In other words, it's shaped like a potato, And it has all these cracks on it well what's so important about this 163 mile by 137 mile moon well it actually sends out static electric charges and we know back about 2005 the cassini spacecraft that was doing so much science around saturn was actually hit by a 200 volt shock john from 1200 miles away so now we have satellites not only have water potentially or water oceans But here's this strange potato shaped object, it's the obviously the most non-round object of satellites in the solar system, go figure, we don't know why this particular satellite gives off electrical charges, many more things that we'll have to discover on future space missions. Isn't that incredible just to hear that?
3: That is incredible. Uh, In our discussion last week about water being found almost every place uh, is incredible. Uh, there's so many things that we have to learn, uh, and I hope we learn it uh, while we're still here. And the other discussion we had, and I really, really believe in it, that yes. uh, people got a little bit of what the what the 23rd and 24th century may be like uh, from uh, Star Trek. And I mean, it's a little bit crazy, but it, yes. it might be um, it might be some truth in that.
5: Absolutely, John. And the biggest thing we talk about in quantum physics right now is the concept of quantum entanglement. Sounds hard enough to pronounce, but it allegedly talks about, and somewhat has been proven by scientists and physicists, that they say nothing can go faster than the speed of light. But in this particular case, there is this concept called quantum entanglement, where if you had, let's say, a light switch on one side of the galaxy, 150,000 to 200,000 light years across, that not necessarily would have to take that long at the speed of light to travel. But John, in the simplest way I can explain it and open our minds this morning, as we always do, is that that would be instantaneous. So you're so right. The things that Gene Roddenberry talked about so long ago and those great writers that put this great science fiction theme program onto television, you're right. But in wrapping it up, we talk about the live sky. What can people actually see? John, it's getting good. That beautiful strawberry moon that we had last Sunday It now fades. We find out that we get a last quarter moon on the 10th. That happened, of course. But if you look into the northwest, Venus now glides through. This is a binocular event through the beautiful star cluster called the Beehive Star Cluster. So you'll see this bright Venus in a binocular. And you'll see the assemblage of stars. Venus is what? Less than about 60 million miles away. The star cluster, John, is about 500 light years away. And as we move toward that beautiful time of the year, the June solstice, the summer solstice on the 21st, we'll have so much more to say every Sunday here on the Cats Roundtable. And we always recommend one, always remember to keep your eyes to the skies. Check us out. Great content, as people tell us, here at WABCradio.com with the Dr. Sky Experience. Always a privilege and honor, John.
3: Thank you so much, Steve Cates, and thank you for enhancing our minds on the on Sunday morning because we have time to, to look up in the sky on Sunday night or Saturday night, and, uh, and thank you so much.
5: My pleasure, John. Thank you for having me.
1: Listening to the Cats Roundtable.
3: Today is a great baseball day. With us today is Eric Schuffler and Eric uh,
6: Staten Island. You have a great baseball day today. Let us know. We have perfect weather, perfect stadium, perfect view of this lower Manhattan in the skyline. And, John, in a few hours, we will have Marvel Superhero Spider-Man on site at Staten Island University Hospital Community Park right next to the ferry. Easy access from lower Manhattan. Easy access from New Jersey. Spider-Man helping the Ferry Hawks. Well, I look forward to it. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, who are the Ferry Hawks playing today? We are playing the Lancaster Barnstormers from Pennsylvania. They're the defending league champions. But, John, we have our own champion in Homer Bush, Yankee, 1998 World Series winner, leading our Ferryhawk.
3: Hawk. I look forward to
6: it, and uh, God bless you. Anything else you want to tell people? Of course. How's the food? The food is the best. We have Nathan's World Famous Hot Dogs every day at the park. Staten Island is known for its great food. We've got kettle black wings, flour and oak pizza, cobra tacos, great food, local craft beers for all our listeners who enjoy locally made beer from Killsborough and Flagship perfect day for a perfect ballgame. God bless. I'll see you later. God bless.
3: What is today is Tom Gretsch, president and chief executive officer of the Queen's Chamber of Commerce in New York. And uh, so many things happened in New York this week. Uh, the economy, the forest fires from uh, Canada. Uh, Tom, would you give us an update? What the heck is going on?
1: So, John, thanks again so much for having me. And I hope you and your family are all well during these challenging times. So, uh, thankfully, it looks like as of this time, uh, the the impending doom of that smoke situation is somewhat alleviating itself. But, but I will tell you, over the last 36, 48 hours, between flight cancellations and people not going to work and school, it, it definitely had a crimp in the uh, in the business economy of Queens County and beyond. I know a lot of folks were not going into work out of the concerns. There was a palpable fear of with the masks being back out again so I think uh, I hopefully think this is gonna pass but it was really a challenge for the airlines and for our airports that are in that are in the midst of a resurgence to have the situation kind of come back again
3: well the airports have to be in a resurgence because uh, uh, crude oil is down to uh, you know the high 60s low 70s so airline you know airline uh, uh, tickets have to be cheap and people yeah. have, uh, they want to get out and go see the world now.
1: Yeah, you know what the biggest challenge is, and I see it still to this day, and we always scratch our heads, about the inability of companies, large and small, to hire people. I, I know that JetBlue had to curtail some of their flights because of a lack of air traffic controllers. Other airlines have talked about the fact that they can't get people to go to work. It's still a strange, strange situation in our, in our, in our country, but especially in New York. We had, a, we had our job fair a few weeks ago down in, uh, in Southeast Queens at Resorts World Casino with hundreds and hundreds of people attending, looking for jobs, which is a good thing. But, but by and large, the folks that were there with exhibit tables trying to find employees are still struggling. And these are people that are looking for jobs and offering jobs in the public sector and the private sectors.
3: In Manhattan, where I live... Uh, I've tell you, we have a great deal amount of, uh, uh, of stores uh, that are closed and, and, and no, no sign of being re-rented. And uh, now that congestion pricing is going to be coming in in the future,
1: I don't know what's going to be. You know, John, it's interesting. I, I hear these stats, and, I, and I'm a big believer in numbers and stats to an extent, right? But 36% of the citizens of, of Queens County do not work in Queens. They work in the other boroughs and outside the area. And I always tell people about getting back to work. It's really important to get back to the office. We know what's happening in the commercial real estate sector, in the office sector, and conversions from office to residential. That's going to take a lot of work and a lot of years and maybe, as importantly, a lot of money to get done. So for right now, I encourage everybody to get back to work because the jobs you save at some point might be your neighbors, your friends, We need people to get back to work, go to their offices, and conduct business. I'm not going to say like the old ways. I mean, I get it. Some people are going to be working hybrid schedules, but we're big advocates of getting back to work and doing well. But I will tell you on the other side, Queens County, one of the 3,000 counties in America, by last count, we have $28 billion, $28 billion of activity, and most of it's all private sector. So whether, whether it's Innovation Queens, a $2.5 billion project in Astoria, the Flushing Waterfront, our new soccer stadium going in behind Citi Field, and a myriad number of other projects, all capped off by our $19 billion JFK Airport project. Things, the, things are sunny in Queens, regardless of the smoke. Things are sunny. We're doing well.
3: Well, I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing well, and I think Brooklyn is doing well. Uh, Staten Island uh, is surviving. The Bronx, I don't know, they're coming, making a comeback, but Manhattan, well, I went to the, a lot of restaurants this week. All of them were empty.
1: Yeah, John, you know, it's funny you say that. It's, it's also very true. I was interviewed um, on television last week about what do I think... Some of the biggest problems are. And while um, we, we open up our, I'm uh, the grand sum of Im- immigrants, I know you're an immigrant. We all are immigrants at one, one way, way, way or form. But right now, it's incredible how bad our friends in Washington are handling, or should I say not handling, this crisis. Last count, it was $8 million a day in cost for the city of New York. It's draining our reserves. It's draining our budgets. And it's just not a good thing at all for our, for our economy in general.
3: Uh, We agree 100%. Uh, Tom Gretsch, keep us informed. If anything important happens during the week, give us a call. And uh, have a great weekend, and we'll catch up with you again real soon.
1: I always will. And give my best to your family, to Margot and your kids, all right? Thank you.
4: You're
0: listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers. It's the Cats Roundtable. Comes true on Sunday in New York.
3: with us today is former congressman peter king uh he went back to congress uh, last week he was up uh, uh testifying before the intelligence committee and uh he was a member he ran that committee at one time and uh, uh congressman peter king give us an update are we still intelligent
7: maybe not as intelligent as we used to be when i was there but uh no actually it was a great honor to be down there uh i have uh really only been back to congress it was two and a half years ago. I left maybe for a few hours back in February. So this is really my first time really back. I was asked by the current chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, Mike Turner from Ohio. He, when I was there uh, for the most part, the Intelligence Committee was bipartisan. Uh, they were able to make things work. And then the last two years that I was on the committee, 2017 and 2018, and then the two, and then uh, two years after that, it became a circus. Uh, the committee, the Democrats were obsessed with impeaching Donald Trump, uh, bipartisanship went out the window, and the, the committee was really in, really in bad shape. And yet it's an important committee. That's the one that's analyzed all the intelligence from all of the intelligence agencies, the CIA, the FBI, all of the other intelligence organizations that are out there. And it's really vital to the national defense, but it had become totally partisan. Anyway, Mike Turner. He wants to restore the way it used to be. So we invited five former members, myself, uh, Frank Lovillando from New Jersey, Jane Harmon, a Democrat from California, uh, Eliana Slayton, a Republican from Florida, and uh, Jim Langevin from Rhode Island, a Democrat. And it was was basically a talk about how we think the committee should go uh, uh, going forward to bring back bipartisanship and also what else we think the committee should be doing. So when I, I in my testimony, I said all of the issues they're looking at. There's so many issues affecting the world today: was China, Russia, Iran, the Middle East, cybersecurity, the border security, all of that. But I said my concern is that all of this concern on those issues that Congress and the CIA and the FBI are not paying attention to the continued threat of Islamist terrorism, and whether it's Al Qaeda or ISIS. The fact is. They are as powerful now as they were on September 10, 2001. Now, we put in a lot of uh, new defenses, but they're adapting. And the fact that they haven't attacked in a while, we cannot let our guard down. I mean, I, I reminded them that it was eight and a half years between the, uh, the first attack of the World Trade Center in 1993 and the major attacks of 9-11. You could have
3: terrorists coming through those borders. We would never know. And, and there was another uh, intelligence thing where, where uh, some Chinese guys got into a, a base. Was it in, in Alaska last week?
7: No, you know, all of this is happening. And, uh, listen, you can't get on a plane without going through a magnetometer and being frisked uh, because they want to make sure that uh, you know, everyone's legally in the country and everything. Meanwhile, you can just get on and walk across the border. You can walk across with fentanyl or weapons or whatever, and chances are you're not going to get caught. So, no, this is uh, – uh, that. that's the concern that I had. I wanted to emphasize to them that the terror threat, it's not on the front pages, but it's also not in the rearview mirror. It's there. And we have to uh, – once we let our guard down, they're constantly watching us. And once – and uh, they're spying and they're monitoring. And once they see an opening, they will attack. And it could be al-Qaeda. It could be ISIS. It could be one of the homegrown types. It could be uh, – uh, a major attack on the scale of 9/11, and I wasn't trying to generate fear, or uh, but just to say, hey, we can't let our guard down. We did it basically back in uh, you know 2000, 2001. We didn't have our guard up the way we did up, we saw what happened.
3: Well, it was a powerful uh, uh, people that you got together with with the intelligence committee and uh, all the old intelligence committee people. Uh, what other input was given by the by the rest of them?
7: Jim Langerman from Rhode Island, he is an expert on cybersecurity, artificial intelligence. He focused on that. Frank Loviando, he has taken a special interest in Africa, which is a, a continent we mostly ignore. It's still considered like something different, something that's uh, out, out of our, our universe. But the fact is, China is making tremendous inroads in uh, Africa. They have tremendous natural resources and minerals. And uh, China is uh, investing there. It's uh, many times paying off governments. It's taking advantage of corruption that exists in some of those countries. So he focused on that. Uh, and then uh, others like uh, Jane Harman emphasized the need to make sure that the FBI and others have uh, proper uh, means to track down and to uh, investigate uh, terrorism and other international offenses, but at the same time, that restrictions you put on to make sure they don't abuse their power. So that's going to be a a balance. We have to, you can't take away that power to be, for instance, monitoring phone calls coming in from terrorists overseas, but you have to make sure that 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 power can't be used against American citizens who are innocent. So it was that she was talking about, but in doing it, not to make it hysterical, not to be saying abolish the FBI or not to say give the FBI all the power in the world to find a common sense solution where you would, to be able to cope with the terror threats, but at the same time protect the uh, civil liberties of innocent Americans. Uh, So, you know, they were the main ones. Uh, Eliana Ross layton basically was saying the same thing. She was from Florida. She, of course, is very involved with the the whole uh, Cuban issue in Central America. So, uh, but it was, I think it was as much as anything, it was done to uh, create a climate And I got to say, the members of the committee that are on it now, and the Democrat who was the leading Democrat, Jim Himes, he's working with Mike Turner, uh, and they're trying to find bipartisan, common sense solutions. So uh, I think we were there mainly to, as much as what we said specifically, but to provide a a mood or a climate of the importance of working together, and uh, you know, being able that the issues are so big and so important that we don't have the luxury of petty partisanship, which is what went on, unfortunately, for a few years. And I'm, I'm speaking uh, specific, uh, specifically of Adam Schiff. He was the one who I, I think did the most to uh, disrupt that committee and to turn it into a really, a, in some ways, a partisan circus. I used to use that term, but that, that was it. But both Turner and Himes are working closely together. It was good to be back. It was good to be back to see people. When I was down there, I met with people from the New York delegation, with Andy D'Esposito, uh, Nicola Loda, uh, Andrew Andrew Garbarino, I saw uh, Elise Stefanik, uh, I saw some of my old staff people were down there. I was over with the speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, talking with him. And uh, But, you know, we saw, though, an example of on the House floor. There still is a chaotic situation, and the 12 members of the Freedom Caucus, because they're mad at uh, Kevin McCarthy for the debt ceiling bill that he worked out, they staged a revolt and they prevented any action being taken on republican bills on gas stoves they just wanted to stop everything it's a it's a special rule in congress you have to get 218 people to vote on a rule to allow any debate to go forward and they just voted against their own party because they wanted to score points against kevin mccarthy and in doing that they stopped the house from functioning and they blocked four bills Dealing primarily with gas stoves. Extremism on the
3: left or extremism on the right is no good either way. America has to go forward with common sense individuals.
7: It does. And in this case, it's talking about cutting up your nose to spite your face. They blocked action on four bills the Republicans desperately needed and wanted and supported. And they did it just to, again, to prove a point that they can disrupt Kevin McCarthy. And, uh, uh, and to do it, it, it was really uh, something you see in a kindergarten or uh, among uneducated people, not people who are supposed to be meeting the country. You know, it used to be, in fact, really, this is the first time this has happened in over 21 years that a majority party blocked its own party from going forward. As I recall, that was on one particular issue, and it lasted a few hours. This is They didn't even care what the bill. They just wanted to block anything from happening, even bills that affected them that uh, yeah, were positive for us it's, it's absolute insanity and hopefully this will come to an end and people will realize that you know you don't get all you want what you do is you fight as hard as you can and uh if you lose it by one or two votes you'll lose that fight you come back again the next day and you have you to stand
3: know. up and i've said oh, that yeah yes. I, i've said that the other thing i've said in your body intelligence committee i don't know if it ever came up that uh Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, if anybody at the Department of Justice that was politically uh, appointed uh, is doing something wrong, the head of the FBI has the responsibility to stand up and say, "This is wrong."
7: Well, I said that the other day. Actually, in my testimony, when we were talking about changing, you know, the wiretapping and the eavesdropping laws to, first of all, guarantee that whatever is critical in the United States, that that work continues to be done, but. And also, there's going to be mistakes made. There's also going to be abuses. That when that happens, there have to be punishment. There has to be sanctions. I mean, we know that the FBI, there was terrible abuses that carried out against President Trump when the, uh, uh, you know, wiretapping people on this campaign, which is totally illegal and wrong. And yet, when it was found out, there was no sanctions. They said, okay, you know, we're not going to do it again. Well, that's not good enough.
3: Christopher has to, Ray has, has to go. stand up and get the credibility of the FBI back because there was a survey that the American people don't trust the FBI, and that's not, that's not the right thing to do. Christopher Ray has to stand up and, and, and tell people what's wrong and bring people to justice.
7: Absolutely, because the FBI overall is an outstanding institution. You know, George uh, Gonzalez, who works for you, John, he's a, he was a great, great assistant director here in New York when he was in charge. There was some, but there have been people at the top. There's been uh, maybe just a handful, but whatever it is, they're there. They were there, and some of them are still there. And Christopher Ray has to root them out, and he has to take action against them and make sure it doesn't happen again, because there's too many good people working on too many important issues to allow a few to really ruin the reputation of the FBI and any group. But it's the FBI or any government organization. If it loses the trust of the people, it can't do the job. And that's why he has to, he has to take tougher action to uh, restore... The good name of the FBI, which has done so much great work over the years.
3: Peter King, we'll catch up real soon. And thank you for everything you do for our country and continue to speak out for our country. God bless you and God bless America.
7: Thank you, John. I'll see you on Monday afternoon. I'll be in for Catsy uh, uh, Cosby. Looking forward to it.
3: Look forward. With us this morning is uh, Zach Williams, the New York Post, the Albany division. And uh, one smart guy and Zach, they're finishing up uh, the budget up in Albany. Uh, give us a, uh, your, your thoughts. Where the heck are we? And are people going to be happy or unhappy?
0: <laughs> well, the 2023 legislative session is drawn to an end. And the big hot t- topic is the clean slate legislation that we've talked about before. Automatically seal records for all crimes except for all class A felonies, except for sex offenses and certain drug offenses as well. You know, the Republicans are uh, piping up about this one pretty fervently, but it looks on track to pass. But other than that, it's been kind of an anti-climatic end to the 2023 session. You know, No housing package, there's a bit of backbiting between the Democrats and governor's office and the legislature over that Thursday. But uh, other than, you know, passing a whole lot of bills affecting local uh, communities, you know the the big items that sometimes we see in other years are a little bit underwhelming over, this time around. Um, you know, and it's kind of no surprise given how much political oxygen is sucked up by the late budget process this year.
3: Uh, I understand uh, that uh, the increase in rents for uh, uh, rent stabilized apartments was uh, ended up being about four percent for one year, six and a half percent for two years. Yes, so
0: you know. With one of the big items here was a good cause eviction bill, which, you know, appears to be dead right now, right alongside the 421A uh, extension for existing projects. You know, there was just a lot of push and pull from the left and the center. And in the end, uh, everything just kind of fell apart right there. And, you know, we'll see what the governor, who is vowing to do things with her executive powers over summer, might do on this front. Uh,
3: understood. Crime. Are people going to be able to live in this, our city and our state? <laughs> well, there were some
0: important changes done to the bail laws uh, in the budget process, and we're going to see if that really makes a dent or not in the recidivism rate that have really been a big part of the discussion about you know, the relationship between progressive criminal justice reforms approved in recent years and, of course, the rising crime rate that we've seen at the same time. You know, but um, uh, there was one piece of legislation that did come up to make it easier to overturn wrongful convictions. You know, not everybody's all about that one. And, of course, we got that clean slate bill as well, which at least Republicans are saying, you know, might contribute to crime down the road for those that are able to automatically uh, get their records sealed.
3: Understood. Well, what, what do you think? Do you think that uh, the governor is going to get good marks or do you think the uh, the people in our state are going to be upset? <laughs>
0: Well, I'd say the narrative this entire past six months has been the relationship between the governor, who of course won a full term last November, and this emboldened progressive legislature. And of course that, you know, we remember the big fight over her nomination to lead the state's highest court, you know, <laughs> all the different fights in the budget process and the collapse of the housing deal. And then now, today, Political New York had the scoop that the state Senate at the behest of Democratic Socialist was not going to take up earn the nomination of uh, Driscoll to lead the New York Power Authority. Now, this could be really big in energy space because in the budget, there was the Build Public Renewables Act which really pushes NIPA to get more involved in green energy projects. You know, they already run hydroelectric dams upstate, but they want to get them into wind and solar. And so has been kind of a roadblock in that. You know, last year when they had a hearing on it, he kind of, you know, poo-pooed the idea, if you will, that NIPA ought to compete with private uh, energy companies. And he's going to stay on as acting head of NIPA right now. But, you know, for the governor, after this bruising six months, this is just one more slap from the legislature in uh, what could be the final day of the session this year.
3: Well, Zach Williams, thank you for the update. Thank you for keeping all New Yorkers informed. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Anytime. this morning is uh governor david patterson and uh governor uh another week has gone by and so many things have changed and some many things have not changed uh
8: what say you where, where where do you think we are well john it is uh a really difficult time for the cities in this country because those who have a lot of office buildings like new york and the new york post wrote about this on friday um Less and less space is being used, it's causing the property values to fall, it's uh, causing more and more people to not come to work at the rate that it would have been thought once the pandemic ended, and it's going to be a real crisis down the road. Now, when you add to that, that there are people coming into the city, but it's the migrant population, and so far, they've been restricted to New York City pretty much because the county executives in the other areas are going to court to try to stop that. Which I think, it, look, whether you are, uh, no matter how you feel about the border, if people actually do get in, I don't they should, think they should be sent just to uh, centers uh, that are decided somewhere in Washington and not uh, you know, collectively by the counties of the state and, uh, and the states themselves. So I think that that's just exacerbating the situation that we talked about last week.
3: There there was reports that uh, uh, they were going to put them uh, in churches. Uh, They were going to put them in private homes and and pay the uh, people in private homes $100 a night or something. Uh, I mean,
8: at some place, it's out of control. Yeah, and also, you know, I I think there actually are some people who would— let the migrants stay in their homes but like any other situation like foster care or something like that there has to be a little bit of a a background to understand who's actually coming there and what special needs they might have you know in addition to the fact that they're they're being there. Mayor Adams actually is talking about bringing some people to the mansion and having them stay there Um, and that's a nice gesture symbolically but it demonstrates that he continues to be the one person in government who con- is trying new ideas, bringing up uh, possibilities. Not all of them necessarily would work, but it demonstrates the effort that he's putting in, and uh, he should certainly be commended for it. it, it's, uh, it it's just a, a, a very difficult situation, and of course, um, this week, with the smog alert and the the index uh, almost up to 500, which would be the highest recorded in the world, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a frightening time to be uh, around this area. Uh, you're absolutely correct. And
3: uh, he, Mayor Adams told people to stay home uh, a few days this week, and
8: every restaurant in the city was empty. Yeah, and, and that you know, nullified profit in the restaurants and exacerbated that particular problem. Because if, you, if people are not coming to work, they're not working in the office buildings, then they're not using the facilities around the office buildings, and that causes uh, some of them to go out of business and causes others to be struggling for survival. and We, we have just got to find some way to bring uh, leaders from different communities together to try to hammer out some problems rather than being antagonistic to each other.
3: Agreed. But it it can't be keep coming and coming and coming at some place,
8: at at some time, it's out of control. Yeah, well, we talked about that uh, last week, and and I certainly would hope that um, there is a way to to, uh, equalize the migration of people, not just to New York City. I don't know what New York City did wrong, which meant that we were supposed to get the the migrants and the county executives, oh they had fun cheering on Governor Abbott when he sent the buses of migrants to uh, uh, Manhattan and uh, to the surrounding boroughs, but then all of a sudden, when someone wanted to send it to their areas, they have some reason why they don 't want to do that. Now I just think that 's very unhelpful at a time like
3: that. Now, uh, I understand that the federal courts uh, uh, allowed the city to keep
8: sending them. Uh, was there an appeal? Do you know what, what the current status is on uh, this I, weekend? I think the counties are appealing that decision. I, I think it's a very good decision. Um, but it's going to take a little time to to bring it to fruition. Anything else you want to tell the people? Well, uh, you know, at this particular time, uh, you know, things can look very bleak in terms of the inflation rate that we have in this country, uh, in terms of... Uh, some of our economic centers being um, uh, diminished by uh, the lack of a workforce and also the lack of um, activity. But uh, New York has always been a resilient city that's always kind of bounced back. It certainly looked pretty bad during the fiscal crisis in 1975, but we bounced back from that. And it certainly looked horrible after uh, the terrible attack on our country on September 11, 2001, and we fought back from that. So I hope in the midst of all of this, even though we're raising some difficult issues, that we still have that resilience, that desire, and that drive to bring the city back uh, as one of the great cities, if not the greatest city in this country. I agree.
3: Thank you, Governor Patterson, and uh, have a great uh, rest of the weekend, and we'll we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks, John. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, Go to uh, wabcradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment.